Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Metaverse Podcast, your podcast about metaverse marketing, advertising, and related trends in the tech world. I'm your host Eli Santos, and this podcast is all about exploring the metaverse and its possibilities with people that are at the core of its development, and of course, how marketing is going to be related with everything. And today, I'm very excited to welcome Jorit Velzebor. Jorit, say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. Excited to be here. Thank you for being here with us today, Jorit. So guys, Jorit is an experienced entrepreneur and tech leader in building and scaling marketplaces, e-commerce, and SaaS platforms for several major brands such as Dow Hayes and Ethos, and now a founder and CTO of Yum, the infrastructure that empowers creators and gamers to co-create the metaverse. So Jorit, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, what you do, and your background. We would love to hear it. Yeah, sure. I think you already gave quite a nice, concise introduction. Um, I think the only thing to add here is that uh, I started off, I started off my career uh, launching basically basically my own startup, uh, Synkick. It was called. It was this AI uh, music startup. Quite a hard industry to get into because music and licenses is quite a difficult combination. Uh, grew it to about 15 people and learned a lot during my studies, learned a lot from my uh, from my first uh, startup and then moved into venture capital right afterwards. And then from there, uh, of course, I saw a lot of uh, different uh, business plans, different companies, different startups all over the place. Um, the, the, the venture capital firm was a traditional venture capital firm, by the way, it wasn't the typical Web3 crypto investor you see nowadays. Uh, it was focused also on e-commerce, basically the three uh, verticals so you described. And uh, you know, after about eight months, nine months, I I decided I needed to get my hands dirty again. So I went to some big uh, agencies, big companies, and then I started scaling scaling them up, both from a commercial perspective as well from a, from a technical uh, perspective. So that's, uh, I think, uh, generally my, my background. I do have quite a, a high passion for like fields like artificial intelligence, uh, philosophy, uh, but also crypto and uh, everything that's going on in, in regards to decentralization. Um, so I was quite early also in the crypto space, 2015, invested uh, some money also in, uh, in Bitcoin. Quite an interesting uh, roller coaster because right after I purchased, it went uh, sky high. So I thought I was a genius. Then it went all down. Uh, also experienced uh, the last wave. Thought I was a genius again. Went down back as well. So quite a quite an interesting uh, roller coaster. Um, yeah. Two years ago, two and a half years ago by now, uh, Daniel, who is also the basically the entrepreneur founder uh, of the Metaverse Explorers Group on LinkedIn. He approached me because he's, he was working on this virtual 3D storytelling platform. And uh, yeah, he was basically competing with PowerPoint and uh, Prezi, uh, but he needed to actually make him revenue uh, out of it. So that was quite a tough job to do. So I helped him uh, set up this whole thing. This was three years ago, three and a half years ago. Uh, created his business plan um, and then he shifted from from there more into metaphors with avatars and uh, yeah two and a half years ago uh, we basically decided to uh, actually create a, 
uh, a company out of that. We did. Uh, Alex joined in. Uh, we researched a lot of cool concepts around peer-to-peer uh, -peer and uh, virtual worlds, avatars. Then uh, Web3 was suddenly hot. Uh, we decided, of course, to also implement it. Uh, so now you can log in with your wallet. You have NFTs. Uh, there is this token, of course, that's fundamental to this peer-to-peer -peer mesh network that we'll be talking about. Yeah, so I think that's uh, that covers the, the background and also a little bit of a backstory uh, on Yom. Uh, nice, that's really cool. And uh, uh, first of all, kudos to your journey because uh, I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur myself as well, and I know, um, you know, it's it's like a lot of ups and downs throughout history. So you do some stuff that works really well, you do some stuff that doesn't work really well, and then sometimes you invest into crypto, as you said, and then like you end up riding the bull market, and then you think, oh my god, I hit the, I I I've hit the jackpot here. I'm 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 rich. I'm gonna be rich, and then all of a sudden, boom, the market drops. So it's like a lot of emotions, and I completely relate with that. And you kind of already introduced, uh, you know, a little bit of what we're gonna be talking about today which is infrastructure in the metaverse uh especially for experiences right and um and i found interesting the way that you guys initially i was talking to daniel the other day and and he told me a little bit about how you guys initially connected and what is the what was the initial idea of of the yam project and what has turned into so um i understand that you guys are really striving to create uh, a product that focuses on experiences, right? And amazing, having meaningful, amazing experiences in the metaverse and Web3. So I think I would like to kick off with uh, one question, which is what do you think is needed to create meaningful experiences in the metaverse? Yeah, I think, uh, of course, I hear a lot of questions already, but if I focus on the on the last one for now, uh, it's uh, it's to, to make the metaverse uh, fun again. Uh, and that's also originates back to the original idea of Daniel, who wanted to actually make PowerPoint presentations who are very, very boring, actually exciting. Uh, by creating this 3D element, this virtual element uh, to it. But uh, yeah, right now we, uh, we, we, we have the metaverse. We have a lot of virtual rooms uh, everywhere and uh, nobody's using them. Um, so it's the question is, of course, why is that the case? And uh, at Yom, we believe that it has to do mostly with the infrastructure that's currently being used, right? So um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, that's, that's our uh, purpose to create those meaningful experiences. I can I can talk a little bit more about how we do that. Eli, what, what do you yeah, think? Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> Boom. Okay, so there are just to get, give this high level conceptual breakdown, I don't I don't want to go that much into detail. Um, but generally you have two main approaches to metaverse. Uh, one is to uh, create this game out of it that you can download on Steam uh, requires this very advanced uh, hardware. Uh, it renders on that hardware in high quality and you can create, you can experience a very uh, engaging exp uh, uh, stuff in that particular game. Uh, the other approach would be to run that in the browser, right? And the moment you start doing that in the browser, it suddenly becomes very accessible to everyone, right? So there's this trade-off. 
between hardcore gamers, gamers who have their PC at home, and accessibility. What we see right now is that uh, for the metaverse to be successful, it needs to be accessible. It needs to be accessible to, to basically everyone who just clicks on a link. They're in there, they're immersed, and they can experience something. And that is basically the only way also for, let's say, brands, for parties who are not necessarily selling a full-fledged games for 60 bucks and hyping up their community to, uh, to tell their narrative to their audience by making it highly... Uh, accessible. So what happens is that metaverse, the metaverse industry is now skewed towards accessibility and um, with accessibility also comes interoperability and that the same systems are being used all over again. And the moment that that, that happens, uh, we start making um, the experiences actually less meaningful and less fun. And so what, what we see right now in the metaverse, what's going on is that all of those metaverse experiences have become virtual 3D chat rooms, sometimes with NFTs hanging out there or 3D models. But there's not much going on other than seeing an avatar in the same experience. Um, and yeah, at Yom, we uh, kind of believe that's a waste uh, because we want to introduce basically uh, the, the power of gaming back into uh, that experience. And uh, I think uh, I think that also gives a nice introduction to what we are building, our solution to this, and that is uh, basically a pixel streaming and a peer-to-peer -peer rendering network, rendering mesh. So pixel streaming has been out there for quite a while. Um, as an example, Google Stadia has been using pixel streaming for their solution. Was not a major success, also because Stadia was quite early in its approach, so the bandwidth was kind of low and also because hardcore gamers they required immediate very low latency right so there is this trade-off it's it's more expensive but it's also less optimal than using your own gaming hardware so they were they were actually with stadia they were targeting the gamers who already have at home their own hardware right and that's that you you could do that but it's much more, it, it makes a lot more sense if you use these cloud platforms, not for the traditional gamers, but for the, for, for the masses, right? So there, there is this uh, audience gap that was there, uh, which we believe that with Metaverse, we can, we can bridge that because Metaverse actually targets this, this mass audience uh, where accessibility is key. Uh, so we went for a similar approach in terms of the, the pixel streaming uh, solution, but instead of running this on a cloud system, which is basically either owned by Amazon, by Jeff Bezos, or by Google or Microsoft, we say, okay, no, it needs to be scalable and it needs to be affordable. It needs to be cheap. So that's where we said, okay, we have to come up with an alternative system, which is, which is both. Uh, and that resulted into this peer-to-peer -peer, uh, network, this peer-to-peer -peer mesh. Uh, what is the peer-to-peer -peer mesh? It's basically uh, a network of computers uh, that combined, as a combined effort, render the metaverse. Um, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's basically the, the key. We have, of course, a, a token to support that. Um, the token here, in a way, resembles uh, let's say the, the token of uh, Helium, right? So Helium, it's a crypto project that perhaps some of the watches are familiar with. With Helium, you 
distribute uh, some of your computer power from your device to the network and then the network can validate the transaction. We do something similar, but instead of validating um, uh, the chain, we say it will be about rendering the metaverse for clients and uh, other computers, other systems like proof of stake, they will be a lot more efficient uh, regarding regarding blockchain, right? So, uh, and that way we basically created this system, this network, uh, whereby the the rewards are about. We expect that, so we cannot say that for sure, but it will be approximately about ten times as rewarding as rendering on any other proof of work ecosystem. And the reason is because there's actually somebody uh, demanding computing power on the other side. Right, so the, so that is the, basically the uh, uh, the key concept. I think, um, yeah, I, th I think that's uh, that's just a nice introduction. Do you think yeah. I'm still leaving some holes in here? Or? No, 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 no. I think that's pretty good. And I would like to uh, point out a few uh, of the stuff that you mentioned, so we can get a little bit deeper into some of that. So uh, you said, you know, uh, and I agree, you know, uh, that there there are ways to create meaningful experiences, and that's by making it fun, that's by making it engaging, and that's by adding gaming elements and whatnot. And um, you mentioned a little bit about, you you know pixel streaming and accessing experiences through browsers and or maybe also having your own hardware so uh there's a few i would say there's a few or maybe a lot of trade-offs there or a lot of challenges right so that's something that we briefly talked about in our previous conversation that i would like to bring to our listeners today uh because when you when you think about you know uh the metaverse some people see you know some people envision a very high quality high definition environment something that is really high-end and some people prefer like uh cartoonish experiences for example so think about i don't know like fortnite or maybe even roblox you know something that it's a lot has a lot less details and it's a lot simpler visually speaking but either way um none of these two are um necessarily easy to run in a computer right so at the end of the day you have this trade-off you either go with an amazing hardware as you said or you would stream the imaging to your computer right however um for example i've tried nvidia go in the past which is the streaming service by nvidia that allows you to basically run games using uh, uh pixel streaming and um when you when you connect to the computers and you start you know uh streaming these games the the quality is impeccable you know like you can clearly see that it's very high definition they have amazing machines running it however even though i have an amazing internet connection uh the problem is not the amount of data that i can download rather the ping right so the latency of my internet connection got in the way of me having an amazing experience so that what ended up ended up happening was um my game was stuck so every now and then it would froze for about two seconds and this would completely kill the entire experience so uh that's the that's one of the challenges in in in, in one of the sides right so from the other mm -hmm. side if you would uh ask users to have amazing hardware the reality is that in the 
I would say in 80%, if not maybe even more of the world doesn't have necessarily a high-end computer in order to run high-end experiences in terms of graphics, right? So that makes it not accessible for the majority of the world. So um, how do you think we can address or maybe how, how are you guys addressing these challenges, which I think are going to be big challenges as we're entering the metaverse now? Yeah, yeah, I think so mostly the, the latency question. So the, the whole nature of this peer-to-peer -peer mesh is that all of the machines are basically very close to you, or at least not as far from you as from a Google data center, right? So as an example, we are currently, uh, most of our machines are still running uh, in the cloud um, on AWS, and it's running from Ireland. Right, so from Ireland, so we create this connection to an Iris machine and it's sending some pixels back. We are actually experiencing almost no latency at the moment, right? So there is, there is some, and I'm pretty sure it will harm uh, hardcore gaming. But from this point on, it can only get better, right? So if you go for this peer-to-peer -peer mesh, uh, there will be gamers in, in the Netherlands, in Germany, in, and this algorithm will automatically search for the most, uh, uh, basically the machine in, in proximity of you. So it will, um, from that angle, it can technically be uh, resolved. The question is, of course, okay, there could be different issues. Perhaps there are not enough machines uh, uh, about, and then you have to search a little bit further into the latent uh, space. But um, generally, I think the the quality is already pretty good. But in, yeah, it's an uh, it's an yeah it's it's more of an uh, opinion. I think that's also the reason why Metaverse targets, let's say, the more general mass mass audience. Um, relating back to your second part where you said um, it's about people not having access to those devices, I think it's even deeper than that. Um, devices need to get smaller and smaller, especially when we're talking about immersive devices, right? So if we're talking about VR headsets or glasses, or they should actually fit on the eyeball in some sense, or they should at least be a lot smaller and thinner and if you want to get even the cartoony graphics with some nice shaders it will still consume uh, quite some gpu power right so preferably you don't do that on your face preferably you do that um, uh, from from a different uh, location so so that's that's one a challenge the other possible solution could be that instead of sending all uh, pixels to your device, you only set, uh, send basically a tiny amount, this compressed amount of pixels. And then on your machine itself, it upscales that data, right? So then you minimize the bandwidth, you minimize the, the transaction over the internet, and then you let the, the local client, let's say the, the, the chip on your very thin uh, devices upskill that data so you have the best of both worlds so there could be solutions in that area as well 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, what we're talking about in here is that uh, um, inevitably, inevitably, like um, some of the processing, uh, it's not all of the processing, it might be all of the processing, but maybe some of the processing, at least some of the processing will have to happen in a third party machine, right? Because as, as you were saying, and I completely agree, the devices are becoming smaller, especially the immersive devices, right? So uh, it's going to be hard for such devices to do such a uh, huge processing, right? Locally. So it's going to be required that, um, you know, at least some of the processing is happening in another machine even though like we're seeing interesting advances in the sense of uh, for example Apple recently released their new processor that combines the CPU with the GPU in the same chip which makes it faster which makes it more um, uh, more sustainable and whatnot in terms of processing and energy consumption but at the same time it's still a processor and we know that processors are not very no. small and the smaller that you make them the, the less they're doing, they're going to be doing processing, right? So it's going to have this trade-off of, you know, nope. like, uh, if you want to make it smaller, you can make it smaller, but you're going to have to stream everything. Yeah, yeah. And even if you look at the argument, okay, chips are getting more efficient, but so are desktop computers as well, right? And they have much, they tend to have much more efficient ways of cooling uh, the hardware. So they have those big fans running on top of the chips. With mobile devices, you don't have that cooling. So everything needs to render in a passive condition. And that basically already reduces about 90% of performance, right? So even with the, the, the limited device, even though they're very efficient, it's still going to be 10 times less efficient than when you put a big fan on top of it. And then we're not even talking about the size. So it will, yeah. So that there is, there. if you want to go for 8K pixels on both eyes uh, streamed directly into your uh, prefrontal cortex or on your eyeballs, then you generally don't want that stuff to happen inside of your head or on your eyes, right? So there is this, you just can't do it. It's, it's going to be impossible. <laughs> Yeah, so definitely. The, no, yeah. yeah, I definitely agree. And I think, you know, uh, uh, there, there, there's uh, uh, different ways to address this, I think. So uh, one thing that you mentioned that I think is it's really interesting that I actually came across the other day. Um, some companies are developing, uh, you know, algorithms or maybe intelligence in order to um, do parts of the processing locally, but in the more efficient way so as you said that could be for example sending an amount of pixels to your a vr device and then your vr device kind of enhances the image yeah. through an ai technology of sorts or some sort of processing that requires a lot less processing but it's extremely efficient if you compare it with you know what would be to yeah. do all of the processing locally so i love yeah. that solution maybe we could talk a little bit about that and um, also one thing that I think it's um, it, it's important and I think, you know, companies should be considering is that a lot of people are talking about the metaverse, as I said, uh, expecting these high end, very high quality graphics. But I don't think that's needed. You know, I think when it comes to, you know, a gamified experience, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, something amazingly uh, graphically uh, designed. You know, it could be something as simple as... A bit you know if you look at you know nintendo and some of the early 
the 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 first of the few games that we've had you know uh, ever you know these were like very awful designs but still no. people were engaged for lots and lots of hours you know these were very engaging experiences so uh i don't know like um so taking yeah. for instance like valorant which is a game that i absolutely love when uh, riot games released valorant uh the graphics were not so great because they wanted more people to be able to play so that they could have a more a bigger uh user base at the beginning so that then they could start improving the game right and then they could uh, still foster uh the adoption so there's these two sides of the coin which i would love for us to talk about a little bit I mean, I, I completely agree with the fact that there are many games, for example, TBA, uh, but also Worms, a lo lot of games out there that are, well, they, they're not basically, they, they're not high quality AAA experiences, but they are still amazingly fun to play. So then comes the question, um, what is going to be, what is the purpose of this, these highly performant, highly graphical systems? And I think the purpose is, let's say, uh, another one then so it's it's more about creating meaningful experiences, right? So what we talked about in the, in the beginning. And the, the question, of course, what is a meaningful experience? And you could have, of course, a very meaningful experience on a two-bit uh, bit, bit, bit game. But then again, the fact that you are also able to turn off the game and then engage with your friends and engage in real life makes your life meaningful. If it's just going to be that two-bit game, then you would have a quite one-dimensional, let's say two-dimensional experience, not a very meaningful existence. So... And that's so when we talk about this, about meaning and uh, let's say also the, the philosophy, the reasons behind it, um, then we also look at, okay, what is going to be the true purpose of metaverse? And that true purpose of metaverse, in our opinion, um, can also be traced back to the, to the demands of civilization uh, uh, for today, right? So we are outputting a lot of uh, CO2 emissions everywhere around the world. We're creating handbags, we're creating branded items, clothing, stuff, furniture, uh, travel. Uh, all of those things are material-based goods. And the question is, do, do we want to keep on producing these material goods? Do we want to keep on consuming those material goods? And we have just barely even started, right? So. Um, the consumption and production, especially the consumption side, has been uh, basically uh, confined to the Western world. And now China and Asia is also adding into the mix. But we haven't even looked at, for example, Nigeria, which is the fourth largest population in the world. They're not consuming any material goods yet, right? So imagine them also consuming and producing on a large scale. Then we would be yeah, that there would not be a sustainable way of living. So the only sustainable way forward is by drastically reducing the consumption and production of these physical physical goods. Um, of course, you could try to uh, to work on the symptoms, and people are doing that, right? So you have policy, you have 
ways to uh, like uh, think about um, some products that have 50% of their supply chain uh, being um, uh, eco-friendly. Huh? But these are still symptoms because the whole process of producing an item, that's physics, right? So you cannot produce an, an item without creating harm in the environment. So we have to be more efficient. And the most efficient way of doing that is by virtualizing those experiences. And not only is it then uh, uh, cost efficient and also not harmful for the environment, but it's also visible because you can see a machine actually working for this. Well, here, when you are consuming, when you're purchasing a table from the IKEA, you don't see all of the production processes that went into it into in advance. So you won't see the ship transporting it. You won't see the, 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 the factories actually creating this item, right? So it's all invisible. Um, and that's the nice thing about Metaverse. It's, it's quite visible. It's, it's nearby you. Um, so, and it's also the solution to a lot of society's uh, problems. Um, and that's, I think, uh, answers the question about what other purposes does it have other than an experience for being fun? Well, it's, it's meaningful. I completely agree. And I love uh, your perspective on this because, um, yes, like um, we are facing uh, as globalization, you know, keeps growing and keeps increasing. We're facing more and more the same problems or maybe new problems in terms of, uh, you know, as you said, uh, CO2 emission, carbon emission, carbon footprint, for example. And uh, just today I was talking about that on my LinkedIn uh, because, you know, industries are really embracing the metaverse because it allows them to simulate their operations in many different ways infinitely in the cloud without having to actually uh, issue any carbon uh, or you know like reducing their carbon footprint so I completely love it I, I love this perspective and uh, I, I I love especially the part that you said that the the more realistic that the experience looks the closer we are to an experience in reality so maybe yeah. when we are able to close the gap between virtual and real people are going to be spending more time in the metaverse because it's going to be pretty much seamless between one and the other i'm not exactly. sure if that's a good thing but uh i'm assuming that it you know it could be a good thing if we use it wisely but i completely agree that it can reduce many of these problems not only these problems but also a lot more yeah i i mean it's yeah the question is, is it a good thing i would say it's a necessary thing it's not necessarily about good and and, and bad in this case um so the nice thing is if you have let's say virtualized let's say 60 percent of your regular consumption so instead of flying to your family in australia you're meeting them uh, by some kind of neural implant you're you're meeting them and it looks indistinguishable from real life right so if you're at that moment or even make those experiences more meaningful then yeah that really substitutes for a lot of um emissions right so that's that's the point we i think uh graphics are heading into uh i think that's also the point where graphics will uh in the end hopefully um save us from possible extinction in the future right so that is uh that is a really exciting uh way of thinking about metaphors 
Definitely. I, I absolutely love it. And uh, uh, it's actually very often that we get into these kind of philosophical discussions here in the podcast, which I absolutely love. But uh, but I would like to take a step back here and talk a little bit about the tokens that you mentioned, right? So uh, you mentioned how the token-based model can enhance uh, a little bit of uh, this experience. I would love for you to talk a little bit about that to clarify for our listeners. Yeah, sure. I... The other day I read this article from BlackRock. BlackRock is one of the companies that owns most of the world's assets, right? And what they said, what they said in that article is that they envision future markets to be all governed by a token. So any market, right? For example, the market for uh, digital services or the market for furniture or the market for uh, computing power. Right? So all of those markets can be broken down, deconstructed into a token that represents the actual value of, of, for that market. And why is that important? Um, well, the reason is that currently all of the, all of the products, all of the markets, they, they're expressed in dollars, they're expressed in currencies that are very bound and uh, to, let's say, regional uh, activities, regional ec economical uh, activities. The moment you tokenize it into, so the moment you tokenize the product in its own token, it lives independent from the from the economy that's behind it. So that way you can create global uh, chains of value that are independent from, um, let's say, uh, a country's borders. Right, so they're that's a much easier way also to trade uh we really we follow that vision and uh, we basically from from that perspective also said okay this token doesn't need so we don't want this token necessarily to go to the moon we don't want it to go to uh to the price of bitcoin realistically that's not it, it's not going to do that right and the projects who are Assuming that or communicating that they tend to have the worst in mind for the investor behind it. So uh, instead, what we say, okay, no, the the point of this token is to accurately represent the underlying value as accurately as possible. And it's up also to the market, to speculators, to users, to investors, to determine what that exact market, what that exact price is going to be. What is the demand for metaverse? That's in the essence uh, the question. And that question is being answered by uh, the token. So what does that mean in practice? It means that the moment a company, a big brand decides to use Yom for their metaverse activities, they need to buy a lot of those tokens. If you have, so in consideration of let's say liquidity pools, traders, uh, if they, if some of those rumors go out in a market, those traders will ensure that this, that this gap between supply and demand is closed, right? So the moment those rumors go out, they start purchasing some tokens. So the, so the demand for metaverse automatically matches uh, an efficient market. Now, the question is, why do you want an efficient market? Well, to some people that's obvious because an efficient market means you have fair uh, trade and you have a fair competition on both sides. For our project, it means specifically because we're opening on this market between 
let's say beacons. These are the machines of gamers. And on the other hand of basically demand for metaphors. So we're bridging that together. So there's always going to be this transaction between supply and demand. So the more efficient that transaction is, uh, the better that is for the ecosystem overall. Right? I, and I, then you can even imagine futures being applied to that uh, market. So people saying, okay, I'm going to sell the future right of rendering um, the metaverse. I'm going to sell that for, let's say, uh, a 10% discount because it's in the future. And by that, it's creating another kind of industry on top of this market, which is not possible uh, in today's markets because today's markets are controlled by the company selling the products instead of by the market. I think it's a uh, very interesting uh, vision. It also like certainly creates a, a, a different set of concerns at the same time. So, for example, you know, uh, the standardization would be one of them. And I would also uh, uh, like to address standardization in a in in, the, in my next question. But uh, but also creates like the 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 issue or maybe the concern of the volatility of the market, right? Because uh, one of the reasons why people love fiat so much is because it's stable so when it comes to tokenization and crypto it, it, it becomes not as stable you know um so you know there's this these issues that we have to address however if you look from the perspective of the utility um for both for the users but mostly for the company as well it becomes extremely interesting for sure yeah. uh especially when you look at it from this kind of like philosophical standpoint that you know uh the reason why companies use fiat is because it's like the standard that you know anyone can express and anyone can uh basically communicate amongst themselves but when you start using tokens you're basically expressing the value by itself kind of which is really yeah. interesting yeah, that, and, that's it. and, that's and in that sense you're you're the only one that is bound to create value to your token and your token is expressing the value of what you're doing. So it's like, you know, I think it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, I think so the added, so you said the nice thing about stable coins is their stability, but we haven't done that yet in crypto, right? So right now, most of the tokens, they need to go up for whatever reason, they, they need to go up. All of the tokens, Bitcoin, Ethereum, doesn't really matter. Every token is only successful if, if it goes up. And I think that's the that's the thing we should leave behind, right? That's that's the past. The token should be efficient. It shouldn't go up, it shouldn't go down. And what does that mean? It results into a stable token. If it we should. can get let yeah, if we let go of staking mechanics, play to earn, all of this bullshit, if we let it go and just say, okay, now there's a token, the token represents value, and it's up to the traders, so up to the people to determine the, the, the price of that, and it will go up or it will go down depending on the demand and supply on both sides, right? It so should, it should it will its create purpose. a stable sorry it should fulfill its purpose not yes. necessarily be pricey yeah. and it will then actually lead towards a stable and no token has done that i would say in this way yet right so you have of course luna doing it in its own way uh terra luna it made some mistakes um you have uh usdt backing up every 
uh, token with an actual dollar? Well, that's the question, how many? Um, but I would say the purest one is to embed it in a market of supply and demand, right? So the moment you start doing that, um, let's say you have this fluctuation going on that really depends on the demand and supply of machine. If for somebody, if some investor decides to purchase a lot of those tokens, token will go up. Then you have a trader that says, well, this doesn't make sense because actually the amount of machines and the rewards and considering this, the demand, it should actually be a little bit lower so that liquidity pool could even be a bot is then selling off again, right? So it will correct itself. But the precondition to, to, to have this is actually having enough supply and demand on both sides and not having a, a high proportion of artificial inflation, right? So that means you shouldn't have holders of tokens. You shouldn't have uh, investors that just arbitrarily lock it up, right? So you have to get rid of all of those things and then think about true value. What does it mean? What does this utility actually mean? Right? And then, then you are getting somewhere. And I think that's going to be the, the future also for, for crypto and Web3 in general. Really interesting. I love that perspective. And for my last question, I would like to talk a little sure. bit about uh, how to address the interoperability, right? Because when we start talking about crypto and, um, you know, maybe even a little bit of tokens as well, when we talk about an accessible metaverse as well, uh, we can possibly not talk about, you know, interoperability. We've kind of touched into it uh, a few times here in the conversation. But I like to get just a little bit deeper into it because nowadays what we're seeing is that, you know, we have these uh, amazing programs happening, such as the Metaverse Standard Standards Forum that tries to address this issue, right, of interoperability by creating standards, basically. So if you think about the history of the Internet, for example, or maybe the history of computers, Basically, what happened was, you know, companies created their own standards in a way to uh, allow each machine or maybe each user to communicate with each other and exchange data in a way that both sides are going to understand this data, right? So we had, for example, if you wanted to create an animated image, you would use the dot GIF or GIF or however people want to call it, right? You have the JPEG and, and this and that. You have the PNG and whatnot. Um, and now they're trying to bring the same mind set into the metaverse of creating standards so that both sides can communicate with each other. How do you guys see uh, this challenge of interoperability? Well, I think we have to dive deeper into the problem because I think, right, so you have interoperability of experience, which is what users want. So they want from instant access from one experience to the other. And every experience can be completely different, but they should all be engaging. And you have interoperability as demanded by the industry from arbitrarily, from arbitrary reasons, right? Because they just want to integrate their piece of virtual land, uh, basically for the investors. Um, those are very different perspectives on standards. And um, yeah, personally, I believe we should think about standards and interoperability also with the user in mind, right? So to make his or her experience more powerful, more engaging, uh, more fun, instead of enforcing standards 
that will actually on the long term harm the industry because uh, if you compare this, if you compare it indeed with uh, the internet, HTML and JavaScript, we're still using very old uh, frameworks to create web apps. And so those standards have actually, in a way, contributed to the sloth of the, the, the industry. Uh, especially when you're related to gaming, because in gaming you have very specific things that only that are very mathematical and only specific engines can do. For example, explosions or particles or uh, right. So if you want to create a standard between gaming, you should get rid of all of the explosions and particles and things that make a game fun. Right. So so the current way how we ab address uh, standards in a metaverse is quite uh, quite limited, I would say. And it's very sad that the industry is moving this this direction. This also, we are part also, we are principal member of the Metaverse uh, Standards Forum, actually. Uh, so we are also trying to contribute. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, fundamentally, we have quite a different uh, vision. So what we do believe is that there should be interoperability um, in the terms that you should be able to instantaneously access other experiences, right? So you have to think about, okay, you need spawn points. You need certain, um, uh, let's say, similarities in terms of uh, how a user should be interacting with the blockchain. Right? But in reality, if you actually go to a different experience, it's perfectly fine if your avatar looks a little bit different. Right? So it's it's not that bit much of a deal if it looks uh, different. And of course, if you can bring your special weapons you acquired from one experience to another, uh, nice, that's, that's good. Right? But other than that, it's, uh, it's yeah, I think this, the standard should mostly focus on the continuity of experience rather than enforcing, uh, uh, let's say, uh, USD. Um, so that's the uniform. Uh, so you have certain standards on what a model should be, right? Just like with HTML. So they say, okay, this is a descriptor of what your level should include. And if everybody does that, then it's easier to create content within the industry. Well, um, those are the kind of standards we should uh, stay away from as far away as possible. And <laughs> instead just have the game engines figure out themselves how to build cool games because that's usually where it starts right so a game engine is not built for the sake of a game engine uh, a cool game is being built with in the process a game engine is being developed and when the game is successful they say okay now we can also launch this game engine to market so historically every game engine had already in uh, its mindset the fact that the experience should be fun. It's created for a game. And then, right, so that is uh, something that we should uh, should keep in terms of uh, interoperability. Definitely, definitely. It's a completely different way to look at it. And I find it uh, also really interesting because um, you're suddenly, and it makes total sense if you look at history, like you look at the standards that were created by Microsoft, for example, they created these standards so that their machines could be able to, uh, 
to interpret the data, right? To be able to visualize the data that they their users wanted to interact with, right? So it was a challenge from the company perspective. But when you look at the challenge from the user perspective, they just want to have the experiences, right? They they want these experiences to be amazing and fun and engaging, and um, and be connected throughout them. So I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And awesome. this is also going to be the hopefully the future for the metaverse that we get rid of the standards or at least put the standards in the right place. But awesome. Uh, All right. So uh Jurit, thank you very much, man, for this conversation. This was really enlightening, really fun, and uh really interesting conversation. So uh so yeah, so thank you very much. And um, yeah, just for us to wrap it up, if you could tell me a little bit about the future projects for, for you or maybe for Yom. Yeah, I mean, we are with a platform we're now mostly um, onboarding the demand side of things, right? So the, the community and the gamer side, we expect that uh, considering we're a crypto project that will be relatively easy, but mostly on the demand side of things, uh, we are now basically onboarding about two agencies a week. Um, so that's going quite quite good. A lot of uh, brands also show interest. So these kinds of uh, projects we will be working on uh, a lot more in the coming, uh, coming months. In terms of, yeah, I think that, that covered it from my side, from Yom's side, and my side is Yom's side. So <laughs> I think that uh, that covers it, yeah. Yeah, I know how that is. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jorit. And, uh, and how do people go about to follow you if they want to keep up with your news or maybe the Yom news? How do they follow you and how do they find you? Yeah, I think the best way would actually to follow the, the Metaverse Explorers group. And the reason why I'm saying that is, of course, you could go to, to YOM, to the YOM page, YOM website and follow it. And that's cool. Uh, but um, yeah, I think we should, uh, we should, it would be a lot more valuable for you as a person to follow a little bit more unbiased news. And although this community is sponsored by YOM, we try to be unbiased in the exploration to all of those different uh, metaverses and experiences. Uh, and it's also fun, right? So Daniel has been organizing a lot of different expeditions, a lot of pitch nights, a lot of different keynote uh, speakers uh, from the industry. Yeah, it's definitely an amazing community, you guys. I can testify for that because uh, I'm a part of the community and Daniel often shares my posts in the community. So <laughs> definitely, no, that's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> definitely yeah. join the community. You, you, you're yeah. going to find it on LinkedIn. Uh, just look for the group Metaverse Explorers. So Yuri, thank you very much once again, man. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, you guys, thank you for listening to us today. I appreciate you as well. And if you guys want to follow me, you already know it. It's Eli Santos on LinkedIn, EOI Space Santos. And uh, yeah, that's basically it. Thank you very much, you guys. And I'll see you in the next episode.